Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Waterfowl. Hello and welcome to another episode of the North American Waterfowler podcast. My name is Elliot and I am your host here. This is episode 83, I believe, and I appreciate you guys tuning in for another one. So today I'm going to tell you a story of something that happened this weekend and it's going to lead into a conversation about roost and hunting the roost, busting the roost. And my goal for this conversation is to think through this. This is something I, I have put a lot of thought into, um, but I want to be open to change, changing my mind, um, being willing to look at things from other people's perspectives and have that affect me in a way where it could possibly change my practices and my habits. So this is just kind of an exercise of me thinking through this process out loud with you guys. And then if you have comments on this, I would love it if you would email me or, um, Come over to the Facebook group, the North American Waterfowler Podcast. Reach out to me on Instagram, any of those places, and let me know what you think. Because um, there is a two different opinions on hunting the roost, busting the roost. Is it okay? When is it okay? Is it ever okay? And so I had an interesting conversation with an older gen gentleman um, while I was out hunting the river Saturday that I'm going to go through and, and tell you guys about. Um, and so... It should be interesting, and um, hopefully, hopefully, I can deep dive on this mentally within myself and um, come to a better understanding of if I have changed my opinion or or, or what my thoughts are on the topic. So, anyway, let, let moving on. Uh, let me talk about the sponsors real quick, and then we will jump right into the story and then the topic of hunting the roost. 
If you are looking for any waterfowl equipment, Final Approach is a great place to find all of your waterfowl needs from decoys to bags to clothing to blinds. They're a company that is on the rise and they are putting a lot of effort and attention to detail into their products. So go and check out Final Approach at fabrand.com. FDH10 is your 10% discount over there. On X Hunt, I've been using it for probably, shoot, gosh, I don't even know. I know I was not using it in 2015. When did I start using it? I think OnX reached out to me about 2017, 2018, um, and asked me to collab with them. And I think that's the first time I ever used it. And it changed my waterfowling in so many ways, from communication with my friends to getting around in the woods in the dark, using trails, or it's just an incredible system. So go to Onyx Hunt and download that. And if you are a serious North American waterfowler, waterfowler, it will change your waterfowling like it did mine and all of my friends. And then Motion Ducks Decoy Spreader System. A lot of people just use the four system. The ultimate allows you to use seven. I've heard of people connecting as many as 24 to where you have an entire flock that you at your control for motion. It is a game changer when it comes to water motion. It's funny. I've, I've put out several videos lately where it's been non-wind days and I've had the motion ducks with me in the decoy, in the decoys. And I'll get a comment, man, if you were just using water motion, if you're just using water motion, it'd be a game changer. I'm like, I have water motion. You guys got to understand if I'm on a three, four hour hunt and the video's 20 minutes, <laughs> there's a lot tucked in there you're not seeing. And water motion um, certainly could be one of those things. But if you are not using water motion yet, you are not shooting as many ducks as you could, especially on those no wind days. So um, the code to that is also FDH10 for 10% off motion ducks decoy spreader system and also don't forget it is not too late to get on your phone whether it's ios or android look up north american waterfowler and you will find my app download it there and you can start journaling logging your hunts it offers so much benefit and value to you and your waterfowling so go and check that out as well all right so let's go ahead and jump into the story I'm going to tell this um, as best I can, and this is going to going to um, move into a discussion about hunting the roost. So, you know, here the the weather we are stuck in a cycle of 30 degrees, 50 degrees, 30 degrees, 50 degrees, and I'm getting I've had two separate reports that I've seen one um, from someone personally that I know, another one online of how many birds are being shot in Canada still. I mean, they are just, the birds are north. The, now, we there are birds around. Don't get me wrong. I've heard really good reports this weekend. In fact, I shot my first mallard limit, something I'm going to talk about on the next podcast Saturday. Um, but the migration is just north. We are in this El Nina weather cycle. And during the El Nina, it just keeps dry, warm air above normal temperatures from about the Oklahoma Kansas border clear on up. And then south of that, it's a little colder than average. So it's just all the birds are hung up. And so a lot of people are reporting a really strange migration pattern. I kind of I didn't say I got into it with I talked to someone on the comments that was blaming 
climate change and global warming. I personally don't think it's that at all. We are in a pattern where it's just a warm winter. Last year was a cold winter. Last year, we had the biggest of Arctic blasts right around Christmas. And people down in Louisiana and Arkansas were loving it. We're killing tons of birds. It's just one of those things. But it's hunting is hard right now. Hunting is difficult. And before this weekend, I had only shot five mallard drakes. And that is well below what I would be normally at this time. I'd uh, well below it. And there's just not seeing very many. And, and so hunting is difficult. And even if there was a lot of, even under a normal migration, we would be in a difficult phase right now because when you get a hard cold front and it pushes birds down, then if you get three weeks of average temperatures or above average temperatures, those ducks get really smart, really fast. They know where to go. They know where to hide. They, they become nocturnal and it's really, really difficult. So, um, I wasn't sure what I was going to do for my hunt this weekend. And I had been scouting quite a bit. I didn't hunt last week because I was sick, but I was able to scout one of the days. And and I decided that I was going to go to the rivers. I had seen several reports of people shooting ducks on the river. I scouted my river spot, two different river spots, and I found birds on both of those spots. So I just decided I was going to move to the river. And I didn't find a ton of birds. They were mallards. I didn't find a ton. The first spot I found like 50. I mean, I walked into the river and right where I walked into, there was about 50 mallards down there. And I mean, the river stretches for miles and miles and miles. So when you walk down the bank into a, into a section of the river and you kick up 50, that's a pretty good indicator because you're like, hey, this is miles long. If there's birds like this throughout, spread out, there may actually be a bunch of birds on the river. Now, normally the river gets really good under icy, cold, cold conditions is when it really gets good. But, you know, I just haven't been hearing reports of people shooting birds in the wetlands on the reservoirs. And so trying something a little different, thinking, well, maybe these mallards are really smart and they know that they're not being hunted here, so this is where they're at. And so I decided to give it a try. So I called my friend Josiah Maine, who was on the podcast, uh, I don't remember, about a month ago. He was a Patreon podcast winner. He lives in my area. Second time we've hunted together. And we decided we were going to go down into this river bottom and we were going to hunt it. Now, this section of river, I have been hunting on and off since about 2004. Um, I got access to it, learned all the regulations of it. Um, all you have to do is get into the river and, and you can go up and down and hunt it. That's all you got to do. Um, once you're down in the river, it's navigable and, and you can go wherever you want. You just have to secure access to get into the river. And so I had access and this is a great stretch of river, just a fantastic stretch along, um, from 2004 on at some point, my access was terminated because the landowner died. He sold his land to a company and I just didn't have access to get down in to the river here. Now, if you've watched my, if you've watched my channel, you've seen a bunch of river hunts there. I mean, they're not, they don't come that often, but over the nine years, there's probably a dozen of river hunts. There's been a couple of just fantastic goose hunts on the river. There was one last year with Jason and the little slayer that was one of probably my number one most viewed video down the river. And normally this section and, and though that video from last year was this section that I'm talking about. 
Normally, when it gets really cold, really icy, the rivers get really, really good. And so my friend Charlie had access to the same stretch of river that I had been hunting since 2004, but he had access from the opposite side. So the hunt where Aiden and Charlie and I shot all the geese was down in there. Now, last year, um, I was able to, Charlie gave me permission to see if I could get access to cross this land because this was Charlie's spot. Um, I talked to him about it, see if he wanted to, if he wanted to try to hunt it with me. He said he couldn't. And I said, well, you know, how would you feel if I called the owner or maybe he even offers like me, you should call the guy. I don't remember, but he gladly gave me the guy's name. I call him and I got permission to cross the, cross the river. And when I talked to the owner on the phone, he was really, really nice. He said, now you're not the only one that has permission in here. Just letting you know, he's like, just don't, don't drive in the fields, stay on the access road. You're good. So we hunted that one time last year, had an absolutely awesome hunt. We didn't limit, but it was just such a cool hunt. So much fun. And I called the owner again this year and got permission a second time. You know, if, if you have permission, I'm under the belief that if you have permission, you should be calling that landowner every single year because you have no idea if, if somehow the property changes hands and Onyx doesn't always update that, the, the property ownership right away. It takes a while. I've had that happen where I, I was trying to get permission on a particular property and I got a hold of the person that Onyx said was on there and he's like, well, we sold it last year. So it, it takes, so every single year you should be contacting the landowner just to make sure. Uh, because you don't ever want to be in a situation where you think you have access and you don't. And actually on this stretch of river in a different area, I hunted a place illegally for two years because I didn't know that they had rezoned it. This certain place on the river, I thought you could hunt it. I went through all the legal work. I went into the police station in that area like three or four times I mean, I did my homework. I did my groundwork on this and I found out you could hunt it. It was zoned where you could hunt it. And so um, they rezoned it at some point to commercial. When they rezoned it to commercial, auto, you automatically can't hunt it anymore. I didn't realize that it had been rezoned. And I think I hunted it three times when it had been rezoned and didn't have any idea it had been rezoned. I'm not even sure how I would have even figured this out. Cause like I said, I had been into the police station. Actually we had wardens come down after I'd been into the police station. This was before I was filming. Um, we were having a fantastic hunt in here and a warden came down in, checked us completely, read us the right. He, he, he wanted to give us a ticket. He was kind of one of the, one of those aggressive wardens and walked out with no tickets because we had taken care of all our business and um, done everything we were supposed to do. And so that even made me feel even better. It's like, yeah, I know, I 100% know we can hunt this area. A couple years later, they rezone it. I didn't know. And we finally found out. I'm like, holy crap, we were in there. Because if someone would have come down in there and said that I was illegal, I would have been adamant that they were wrong. And I would. So point being, it's something you should do every single year to when when you're um having access to private ground or to use private ground or or whatever checking with that landowner every single year is very very important and so i called him and talked to him and he's like yep no problem at all feel free to cross it and just don't drive in the fields which he said it twice now so 
absolutely don't drive in the field because if you if you're given permission and they give you a rule and you break it, you're probably going to lose your permission. So Josiah and I met there, and when we got there, there was we could hear geese down in the riverbed and right off the bat. So we we're pretty like we weren't there to kill geese, but um, I'll shoot geese if they come in for certain. So we got down in there. And these, this navigable river, the banks are always pretty steep. So getting in and out is kind of a pain in the butt, especially out. Going downhill is fine. Coming back out is always a pain in the butt. So we got down in here, and the and the river is really low right now. It's a sandy, rocky river. But this year, we we with the drought, there's actually vegetation that's grown on all the sandbars. So we took two layout blinds in there, a couple dozen goose decoys, well, actually six goose floaters, and a couple dozen silhouettes, and then a couple dozen mallard decoys um, and we were laying out on the sandbar so it was about an hour and a half or about an hour until shooting time and i noticed a light coming from where we walked in where there's an obvious place where you park on this private private field and you walked in and there was a flashlight up there i'm like oh man oh no and i i it was just staying there for a while and so i figured it's going to be to my advantage just to walk out it's only, it's not that, it wasn't that horribly far. Um, probably 300 yards or 400 yards, I don't know. Walk out, go and talk to this person, whoever it was, they, and just make sure they know I have permission, I know what I'm doing, I'm not sneaking in here. And so that's what I did. So I walked out, and I don't like those situations because I don't know if it's going to be confrontational. I, I figure if the person's just standing there with a the light, you know, like, 50 yards away from my truck that they think they're in the right. And they think that I'm in the wrong is, was kind of my assumption. And so I, I said, how you doing? Um, just wanted to come, saw your light. I just wanted to come up here and talk to you and see how you were doing. And the first thing he says is, you know, do you did so-and-so give you permission? I mean, yes, I talked to him and I started going into my history with this area right off the bat. Um, that I've been hunting this general area since 2004. And just to kind of let him know, hey, I, I'm no stranger to this area. I've historically been in this area. I know what I'm doing. I got permission. And so we started talking. And I wouldn't say he certainly was not aggressive. He was not aggressive. I'd say at first his hackles were up just a little bit. And he's like, well, I've been hunting this for 40 years. And um, so I know three guys that have also goose hunted this here, Charlie, Steve, and this other guy named John. And so uh, I thought maybe he knew some of these guys. So I started asking him, do you know, do you know John? And he's like, yeah, I know John. I know John. I was like, yeah, I, I knew John. And, and so immediately I made this connection. He started being a little more friendly. And I said, well, do you know? Um, do you know Steve? Yeah, I know Steve. In fact, and now he starts going back and he starts referencing the hunt that I went on with Charlie and Aiden. And if you've watched my videos, you're going to watched a lot of them. You're probably going to remember this hunt because it's the best Canada goose hunt I've ever been on. I, I had this flock. So there was three of us. We were taking turns two at a time because those were the layout lines that we had. Um, there was this one flock of like eight that I... I think this one goose was trying to land on top of me. I killed that thing at like 
eight, 10 yards straight in my face, like straight up. It, it, it was unbelievable. This hunt was absolutely unbelievable. We shot our three man limit of, we shot our three man of, um, Canada geese. And it was just an epic, epic hunt. And at that time, Charlie had permission to the field. I did not. Charlie did. And so we were with him. And so I said, do you know, um, Charlie? And he's like, yeah. He's like, um, that guy F this place up. And Charlie's a great dude. Charlie, uh, may put on, he's the one that put on my layout, built my, um, layout boat blind. And he's a really good dude. The older guy. I don't know. He's in his seventies, probably older. guy. And uh, Charlie F this place up. He said, and I'm like, Oh man. I was like, Oh, <laughs> and he's like, one time I had these birds in here located and so-and-so told Charlie about these birds and Charlie brought some YouTuber down in here. And I knew he was talking about me because I was with Charlie and I'm the only YouTuber that Charlie knows. And so I stopped him right there. I stopped him right there. I'm like, well, yeah, that's me. Cause I don't want to let him get any farther before I let him know. Yeah, I'm that guy. And he's like, you F this place up. That's what he said. And I said, from one hunt, I knew he was talking about the hunt. I was like, from one hunt? I was like, how do you figure that I F this place up from one hunt? And he's like, well, I had these birds located. So-and-so knew about it. So-and-so told Charlie. Charlie went in and hunted it. And what I got dug into it, what he really meant was, Char- I thought he was saying like this place now sucks because of Charlie and the YouTuber, YouTuber being me. But what he actually meant was he was planning on field hunting those geese. A friend of his who knew both Charlie and him told Charlie about it. Charlie, Aiden, and I hunted it. And so it screwed up his field goose hunt. So he didn't mean that we F the place up on the broad scale. He meant for him at that time, at that day. And so I kind of realized what he was saying. And I, I just said, I said, I had no intention of ruining any hunt for you. You know, um, I was, we were in here and hunting and I didn't know anything about you. And so I really apologize if you're, if your hunt got messed up, he's like, well, listen, if there's geese down in here, don't mess with them. And um, I said, well, I said, let me tell you what my thoughts are on hunting the goose roost on the river. I said, you tell me, I said, you tell me where you feel like I'm wrong in this. And, and, and I said, I'd be happy to, well, first of all, there had been several times I had said to him, can I, I said, do you want to give me your contact information? Cause I mean, this guy, I'm looking at it like this. This guy is now 75. He said he'd been hunting this place since he was 27. And so the amount of emotional sentiment, sen- sentiment that this guy has wrapped into this section of the river. I mean, at 75, you're staring the end of your hunting days in the face. And so right when he started making comments like that, I, I asked him, I said, I don't, my goal, cause I told him, I said, my plan is to hunt this this year when it gets really cold 
and it gets really icy. My plan is to hunt this place. I said, could I get your contact information when I'm going to want to hunt this? I will call you. I said, the last thing I want to do is screw this place up for you. I said, have you been hunting this for 30 plus years, which the math didn't quite make sense. It's like from 27 to 75 isn't quite 30 years. So he said 30 years or maybe he said 40 years. Anyway, I'm like, even though I don't know the guy and I, if he had said, I don't want you to hunt it, I don't think I would have honored that because I have permission just like he does. But I would give him priority if he's been hunting that since he's 27 and I have only had access to cross right there for two years. To me, that gives this guy seniority over me in my way of thinking. And I don't want to go in there and beat him in because um, he was going to hunt it. But I got there early enough because I'm like, if someone's coming to hunt here, they're not going to be here at this time. And they weren't. And he came in about 30 minutes after us. And so I'll beat him in there. And so I don't want to take that away from him on his last however many years he has left. He can't have too many more years to be able to hunt the river because it's not easy to hunt. But he's like, no, 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 no. I, it's all right. He's like, I can hunt it during the week. I can hunt it during the week. It's okay. And I asked him like two or three times, seriously, if you want to give me your contact information, I will let you know when I want to hunt it and we can coordinate about it and we can talk about it. And he's like, no, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. But he's like, don't mess with the geese in here. Well, when we hunt the Kansas River, we do mess with the geese. And here is my thought on the the roost in this one particular situation, all right? Um, and this is what I said to him, and I asked him, I said, explain to me where you feel like I'm wrong in this. On this river, when the geese really get into it, I've I have scouted and... I've got lots of times logged of scouting this river, watching how it works, watching how the birds work. And from what I can tell, the birds have a quote unquote roost about every, every three fourths of them, half a mile to mile. And you get ice holes and birds are on each of these ice holes all up and down the river. So there's not a one singular roost. There are many roosts and they go all up and down the river. And so if you find an ice hole on this river, this is the only, this is by the way, this is the only way you're going to hunt this river inside the river when it's good because it freezes up, you get ice holes and the birds swarm to them. So we get there, we kick everything off the hole, we set up and everything trickles back in. Now, like I said, you get these holes about every half mile to mile. So if I if we go in and bust a group out, normally the way the river goes, you can actually see the next hole. Well, not every time. A lot of times you can see the next hole where they're going. And they go to that next hole, and then they'll filter back into where you are, and that's when you get them. And uh, so if I if I am doing this method of hunting the river, I am not ruining the entire area's field hunters' hunts because this method is not kicking all of the geese out of the area. So if I'm, if, if I'm let's say, because I think this is something I hear about up in North Dakota and Canada where you have a roost pond, and that is the roost. 
and no one wants to hunt the roost because the roost affects the whole area. It's like a singular roost. And if you go in and hunt that roost, you are changing the entire area because all the birds fly in and out to the fields from this one singular roost. And that's not how this river functions. This river functions, like I said, multiple roosts up and down the river. And so I said to him, I said, in my way of thinking, if I'm going to hunt the way I'm hunting, could I, I will definitely screw up some field hunters who are right around in about a mile radius of that. If they're, if they've got these geese located and they're in a, in a field right off the river, half a mile away from them, it certainly could affect their hunting, but it is not affecting the entire area. It's not affecting the, the entire area. It's affecting a small localized area. So here's what I want you guys to think about. And here's what I want you to contact me and give your opinion about. Cause I, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely curious, curious as what your thoughts are. And this is what I, this is what I told the guy. And by the way, when I told him that he didn't disagree with me, he said, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause I said, I may screw up your hunt right there, but I'm not screwing up people's hunts up and down the river. It's, it's a very small imprint of whose hunts are being screwed up. Now I work during the week, Monday through Friday, field hunting is a totally different animal you've got to i mean you can traffic and maybe i'm maybe i'm making this more difficult than it actually is but if i'm gonna field hunt i want to scout them i want to um pattern them i want to know where they're at i want to do all the groundwork and then i want to hunt them in, in a in a nine to five monday through friday job that scouting is just not going to happen it's not going to happen so if I'm going to hunt the birds during the time when they're on the river, my only option is to go down into the river and try to get them down in the river. So on that one particular day, Charlie and Aiden and I screwed up this guy's hunt. And, I, and I'm not trying to be selfish. This is an honest question. So let's say I screwed up that one guy's hunt. I don't know him. That was one of the best hunts of my life. So for me to say, I'm not going to go in there, kick those birds out, kill them as they filter back in so that this guy can have a good hunt. I'm valuing some guy I don't know's hunt over my own personal hunt. So I could have, if, if I had said, Charlie, look, I'm not going to go down in, into the river there and bust those birds out. And then we just don't hunt. We don't have that opportunity. And the guy I was talking to um, on Saturday, he has a great hunt. Okay. So he's had a great hunt. I haven't had a hunt at all. Versus if I go down in there, I have a great hunt. He didn't have a good hunt because of where I was. So it's like, at what point, at, at what point am I supposed to value the hunts of strangers versus my own? And I think for me, the decision is going to come as to what Im amount of impact I think that it's going to have. And on this river system where you have those roosts every half to a mile, I think the impact of going in there and busting out a roost and getting them trickling back in is very, very minimal. It's not zero, but it's minimal. Versus like the example that I gave up in North Dakota where there's one massive major roost 
all of the hunters in that area are shooting birds off of that roost. Leave that roost alone and you can get on them for days and days because that is something to be considered. Um, this, this guy that I was talking to, maybe he would have gotten three or four good hunts off of that. But those birds were back. I know for a fact those birds were back in that same area, same hole within two days. When you have a ice hole, the, the birds are going to go back because those ice holes are very valuable to them. They're very desirable. So the birds are going to go back to those ice holes. So that was my conversation that I had had with that guy. It ended up being a very cordial conversation, and I'm glad that I had it with him. And I got his name. I told him my name, um, and we shook hands. And like I said, it was never it was never aggressive, um, but it was a a conversation that that needed to be dealt with carefully. I would say. So, those are those are my thoughts on it, and I would say from because this is something I've talked about this before, and like I said earlier, this is something that I have spent quite a bit of time thinking about. I really have. And and I would say after talking to this man, I will give more thought towards the implications of going down in a river and kicking birds out and, and, and doing that. I still plan on, especially in, the, in this area, this is the one area that I have access. I'm going to hunt this area. This is how I'm going to hunt it. But I will put a little more thought into the impact that just jumping down in and busting, busting birds has. Um, and, and like I said before, I think the number of roosts has is a big factor in that. So no matter what you think, whether you agree with me or disagree with me, if you would like to comment, reach out to me. I'd love to read your comments. And if I get uh, some good ones, I'll probably read them on here and do a little of, um, a little reaction or comment of the week. I got a comment of the week coming up on this Thursday episode with another Woody. So that's all I have for you guys today. It, it, the one way you can really help me out is by going on and giving me a review and a, um, a little write up that would really help me out. Tell your friends about the podcast. If it's something that you'd like support the partners. So there'll be another episode ready for you. This Thursday, I'm going to be talking about my first mallard limit of the year. Here it is, December. I shot my first mallard limit of the year on December 16th. Man, and it was really fun. It was a fun hunt, and I'm going to talk to you about it on Thursday. So until next time, you've listened to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast. <laughs>